This is Tack Box Talk, and this is Horse Stories with a Purpose. Who are we? We are equine educators, but we are owners. We are judges. We are competitors. We are coaches. We are volunteers. We are moms. We are horse owners just like you, and we want to share our horse stories with a purpose. Welcome to Extension Horses Tech Box Talk Series, our horse stories with a purpose. I'm Dr. Chris Heine of Oklahoma State University, and with me today is Dr. Carrie Williams from Rutgers University in New Jersey. Hello. Dr. Carissa Wickens from the University of Florida. Good afternoon. Dr. Betsy Green from the University of Arizona. Hello. And Dr. Krishona Martinson from the University of Minnesota. Hi. So rather than sharing horse stories today, I think we're actually going to hear pasture stories and share our personal experiences from some very, very distinct parts of the country. And what we may have in common, or what we may not have in common when it comes to horses and trying to actually have nice pastures. So let's start with Carrie. What's the biggest challenge from folks up in the Northeast? Well, uh, we have a pretty late spring some years, and I know a lot of people love to, you know, start grazing their horses, getting their horses out as soon as they see even just a little bit of green on the on the fields and out in their fields. But, you know, really, uh, you know, early grazing is probably the most detrimental thing you could do to your pastures because it's going to get all of the grass grazed down to almost nothing before you even really get into spring or summer, and then they're not going to have any grass. So I would say early grazing is probably the biggest thing. And sometimes really that means pushing the grazing out into even June uh, in some parts of the Northeast. Oh my goodness, that's late. Very. <laughs> wow. I'm hoping for not to have that this year. I'm hoping for an earlier spring this year, but last year it was, it was into June. Fingers crossed for you. So, uh, Carissa, from Florida, what's kind of your guys' biggest issue? So, one of our biggest challenges is we have very sandy soils. Um, there are some pastures, as you drive by or are walking some of these, these pastures, it, we describe it almost as beach sand, um, lots and lots of sandy soils. And so, what that means for us is keeping moisture in the soil as well as keeping you know nutrients and organic matter in those soils it's very challenging um, so particularly when we have maybe some of those smaller acreage uh, farms that that are grazing horses and trying to keep horses out on these pastures most of the time um, you know overgrazing overstocking of those pastures there it's much harder for the root structure to take hold in those sandy soils and again it doesn't tend to maintain moisture that's probably the biggest challenge for us and, and some of the ways that, that we handle that is certainly, you know, land applying finished compost is a way to, to get some organic matter back into those sandy soils so that it increases their moisture holding capacity. But really it's, it's grazing management that comes into play. So again, our pastures can get barren and not have a lot of vegetative cover very easily if we have a lot of high traffic areas that we're not kind of managing and, and taking care of but also if we are letting those, those plants, that grass, get overgrazed. So the picture of the sandy beaches in Florida is, is not very helpful then to have the horses. <laughs> so. No, no. Try, trying to maintain vegetative cover out there with, with the good quality grasses is what we certainly try to do, but that seems to be our biggest challenge here in many parts of Florida. 
So Betsy, my guess, um, I've not been able to go to the great state of Arizona yet, but I just picture a desert. So what's going on out there? Do you actually have pastures in Arizona? <clears throat> we do. We do have pastures. Um, yeah, we'll have to get you out to Arizona here sometime soon. Kind of where Dr. Wickens was talking about sandy soils. We just have sand because <laughs> we are literally in the desert. Um, our pasture management often is a lot different because unless you have irrigation, you're not going to have pasture in smaller areas. And a lot of our horses, if they're out grazing, they're either over covering an awful lot of ground or they're using like rented or leased government lands as well. And so anytime a horse will pick up a plant, it'll actually often take the whole thing root and all because it is desert and that can be a problem because then we also have some issues with higher sand in the diet even if there's good management and so sand colic can be a challenge for us even with pastured horses. So does the average horse owner, I mean would, would you have an irrigated field? Uh, this just seems crazy to me, not living in an area where that's normal, like those big irrigators that I see when I go to cornfields. Uh, you would you would actually have under, you know, irrigation from the side or a sprayer over top, not like the not like the circles that you see in, in but you would see more like smaller areas with the the sprayers that are above and you know every time they spray they shift a notch and spray that type of thing back and forth but that that takes a ton of water which of course is you know gold out here and so in in reality most of our horses don't have pasture as you guys would see it or as I saw in Vermont um, they they just have lots dry lots Gotcha. So, Krishona, your turn, Minnesota. There's no troubles there. You guys have grass and it's wobbly, right? <laughs> well, yes. You know, our, our biggest problem is winter, right? I mean, our horse owners cannot rely on pasture year-round like you might be able to in your neck of the woods. But I would say uh, the biggest issue we face in Minnesota is just individuals tend to have a lot more horses than they have acreage. So for example, I have four horses, but only three acres of pasture. So my horses are never fully on pasture. Pasture simply supplements their hay intake during those summer months. And as Dr. Williams said, sometimes our summer months are only June, July, and August, right? I mean, it can be a very short growing season. So I would say the biggest issue that we see is simply overgrazing because people don't understand in our neck of the woods, which is different wherever you are in the U.S., we need about two acres of pasture per horse if you want that pasture to provide nutrients to that animal. So overgrazing becomes our biggest issue. And like Dr. Wicken says, then we really have to work with them on those management key points. You know, resting your pasture, mowing, making sure your fertility is on point so that you can maximize the pasture that you do have during those summer months. Gotcha. So we're not really talking about very much time at all. So those horses get a pretty short window of time maybe to graze where in Oklahoma they can be out on grass pretty much all year round. So absolutely. Um, you know, November 1st, always by November 1st in Minnesota, our pastures are done. Sometimes it can be as early as October 1st. 
And like Dr. Williams said, right now we still have 10 inches of snow on the ground and it is mid-March. So the possibility of being able to graze by April 1st is just not there. We're probably talking the end of April, beginning of May, if Mother Nature cooperates with us, but it could also be as late as June 1st. Then you have a really late start to your grazing season. Okay. So I have a question for everybody. Um, I know, you know, back when I lived in the Midwest, the general rule is, you know, one to two acres uh, of pasture per horse, but now we understand that's only for a few months, really. So what is everybody's region of the country? What are your guidelines on how many acres per horse? Because I know it's a lot different in Oklahoma than it actually is up north. Yeah, Chris, so um, this is Dr. Williams in New Jersey. We, um, we're very similar to Dr. Martinson in Minnesota, and like she said, a very short time. But we don't really recommend necessarily acres per horse for any other reason than for nutrient value. So yeah, that, that two acres per horse is if you want 100% of the diet to come from the pasture, um, if you have a maintenance horse. Um, but you can have a half acre with two horses on it if you are going to supplement extra food. So, you know, we, we don't really do land uh, acreage recommendations. It's more what are the goals for that particular farm in utilizing its pasture? Is it just exercise or is it nutrition? And we kind of work from there um, and make individual farm guidelines. Okay. Rule of thumb in Florida? I, I think actually it's quite similar to, to what Dr. Williams just described. Um, we have Florida, especially South Florida, we tend to have still quite a few horses, um, you know, based, based in these communities, but they're more primarily managed on these, what we would call ranchettes or small acreage farms. So they might be in almost borderline urbanized areas or, or right up adjacent to some of these more, um, urban communities. So again, land, land or acreage access is, is the problem. So we, we have some maybe looser rules of thumb in terms of that two, two acres per horse. But again, as Dr. Williams mentioned, that is a little bit more by county or on a case by case basis related to what, you know, are there existing pastures? Is there grass out there? But it's more not just pasture management, but it also goes back into best management practices as it also relates to managing nutrients on those small acres properties. So the rules of thumb aren't just related to pastures and pasture management. It might have to do more with manure management and other management practices that are being implemented. Yeah, in Arizona, we might be talking sections or miles if you were talking about total, total diet coming from the pasture and those horses would have to travel quite a bit. Um, <clears throat> in general, we're talking about just trying. So in most cases, the horses are getting feed hay and or grain separate or, or hay pellets. A lot of times we have hay pellets out here separate from the pasture and it's not expected that that's going to provide a good part of the diet. Now at the university farm right now we have actually irrigation and flood irrigation which you know, is something that's been used for years here but you have to rotate the horses quite a bit so you have to have paddocks or pat, small pastures enough to rotate the horses when that happens. Now, if you have the grass, you can feed them much longer growing season around here because we have the beautiful weather, but you have to put a lot of water in to do that. 
Gotcha. And I know in Oklahoma, we have different parts of Oklahoma where some recommendations, again, to fulfill their nutrient needs are five to six acres. You go out west and it's 60 to 70 acres per horse, which that's a bit of land. So maybe we shouldn't be thinking about pasture to feed the horse. So is it more horse recreation then? Both. Really? I mean, you know, that's, that's some of the benefits of pasture. Yeah, it's great nutrient source, but it also allows socialization and play and voluntary exercise and decreases vices. And I mean, the list goes on and that's not even the environmental side. So there's so many benefits of pasture. And again, I, I always say it goes back to the farm's goals. What are they? You know, what is their goal for their horse? And really any farm should be looking at the environmental side. Um, but in terms of the pasture side, what do they really want? And, and if you think about the days gone by when the horses were used for work and ridden a lot and had a lot of open trails and things, that kind of has changed where a lot of the horses that we own for our recreation or showing or even business end up not being out and ridden as much because it sometimes rotates around the work schedule so you can support all of your horses. And so that added recreation and self, self-exercise self can be pretty important also in the quality of life of the rider as well. And I think in um, Minnesota, one of the reasons that we've been trying to do an acreage recommendation is just simply for education. And I agree with all of you, is highly dependent But we are also in an area where hay has been double or triple what it has historically been. And we know that pasture, feeding a horse via pasture is about the third of the price of feeding horses via hay. So people are really interested in maximizing pasture. And it's usually an eye-opening conversation to have with the horse owner to let them know how much pasture they actually need in order to offset some of that hay budget. So I also think... With, I agree with everything you guys have said. There's horse health, there's environmental health, but there's also a huge economic piece that even when we account for all of the money and maintaining that pasture, fertility, mowing, time, it is still a third the cost of buying hay across most parts of the country. So economics is also a huge piece. Okay. That's, That's a, a great, great, great point. point. So I have a question for you then. Um, so Krishona, you have a, a really extensive agronomy background as well as all of your horse knowledge. And I know I've gone to several seminars uh, put on by our agronomy specialist as well. And they always talk about, you know, stocking density for what your pasture can hold. And I know they're talking to cattle producers when they're talking about stocking density. And I always say, well, my horse owners, it's it's however many horses they own is their <laughs> stocking density. So they don't sell or buy according to the size of land they have. And one of the recommendations that they always talk about it, you know, is pasture height and, and monitoring the height of it. But we know what a horse is like to do. They have one area that they're like, how about I eat this until it's gone? And they don't cooperate with us and do a nice even graze so that we can measure it. So how do we, how do we account for all of that? Well, you know, so so that is a really great question. And what we have found, and actually Dr. Williams' research at Rutgers has also really helped us. Um, but even on our research horses and our research pastures that we manage at the university, the smaller space you give them, the more uniform they will graze. It's just like when we as humans go to a giant buffet, we might try a little bit of everything. But if we go to a buffet with three options, well, that's 
kind of our options. So we found if you can make your paddocks small enough, they will tend to graze more uniformly. But with stocking rate, you're right. I mean, for most people, owning horses is a hobby. Obviously, there's a huge business as well. Um, but you own the horses you have. And ideally, you would keep that pasture from ever becoming overgrazed. And overgrazing probably has a different definition across the country, but with our cool season grasses in the Midwest, we don't want to see them below three inches. And I think a lot of horse owners think three inches, that's like days and days of food. No, that's what you need for that pasture to regenerate. Um, so that stocking density, that stocking rate, those are all really critical points. And I think it helps us with job security and being able to educate horse owners on what that physically looks like and what a healthy pasture looks like. Well, and I, I remember you talk about stories. I worked a lot with pasture people in Vermont when I was there, and their ideas was 100% pasture, 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 pasture. And what they didn't realize is that you can't just put one horse out in a postage stamp size pen so that they'll graze everything and then shift them for rotating pastures because, first of all, there's often horse groups and those horses, you know, you throw a bunch of cattle out and, you know, there's not that big a difference, but you throw the wrong horse out in a pasture and they start hierarchy and they start kicking and and the horse people are not going to do that. They're not going to manage to the level for 100% pasture care. So you have to find a middle ground where they're actually taking care of the pasture, but meeting the needs of their horses, whether it's a business, you know, the lesson horses or whatever. So, and I also remember the, the comment that if you look at the top, the above the ground, that's about the depth of the root system. If that's correct, you, you pasture people. <laughs> and it, and every time you let that horse graze that down so low, you're actually killing the potential future of your pasture being able to recover. And so when those horses go to that new fresh growth, that's two to three inches, you're, you're sabotaging your future. So Betsy brought up a good point, and I, this is a, a little plug for some of my graduate students' first research. Um, we, we did this. We had rotational systems, and we had continuous systems, and we compared what happens. Now, this was with not, no horses on it, but we looked. So we removed horses in November, and we had our rotational system still had some grass there. There was still about five to six inches of grass, and the horses were pulled off. The continuous fields were overgrazed, and they were below three inches. Some of them were one to two inches. And we wanted to see the next spring and into the summer, how long did it take for those pastures to come back so that they were, they were equal or would they ever get equal? Um, and actually already in April, even May, the rotational fields came back large enough. So, you know, the six to eight inch grazing height so that you could use them again right away for grazing. However, it took until almost the end of August, even into September for the continuous fields to actually have enough grass to be able to be grazed again. And that's again, without horses on it, usually continuous fields are continuously grazed. So there are always horses on it. Um, so that just shows you that kind of the root systems are, are very important and overgrazing is very detrimental to fields. Wow, that's depressing. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you're saying we need to have like little small strip lots or something to make the horses eat in smaller spaces and give it rest. But what about the person that's got maybe a 
five acre pasture or Krishona, you said you had a three acre pasture and they do do that where they graze all in one spot and they're like, Hey, I want to eat this. Like, is there any solution for those owners or do we just say, Hey, is it guys? So I think it, I mean, we are all scientists, but we also are all horse owners. So there's a really a practical point in this. So my system of three acres and four horses my three acre pasture is just split in half because I don't want the look of a million fences. I want a very clean look and I have my dry lot. So my horses spend a significant amount of time in the dry lot longingly looking over to the fence and I have to beat it into my children not to open that dang pasture gate every two minutes, right? So there's a practical standpoint in how you lay out your pasture. And I think it goes back to what you all have said. It depends on the goals of that farm. If you truly want to maximize your pasture, I should probably have more than two small paddocks, right? But then I don't want that look. And it is more expensive to put in additional sections of fencing. So again, I'm sure others have great recommendations. But again, it's, it's the, the visual goals, um, and two, I'm very lucky. I'm married to a farmer. So I have a plethora of hay at my disposal to some degree. So I don't have to worry about that aspect as the vast majority of other horse owners do. So my goals and my needs are going to be different than Dr. Williams, than Dr. Green, than yourself, right? I mean, they're all going to be different. But I think what is critical is that the principles are the same. We do not ever want to overgraze. We want to make sure pastures have rest. We want to make sure we're soil sampling and fertilizing. So those are the basic principles that, and, and obviously, you know, weed control and mowing as well. But those are obviously principles that stretch across the entire country, but just some unique caveats depending on where you're at. Gotcha. Well, are there any other, you know, final thoughts that each of you would like to share on our wonderful depressing pasture talk <laughs> I how can, hard it can be <laughs> i can give a plug for cooperative extension because i think that they are you know the county offices in any state are highly underutilized and and for the most part you can find someone within your county or nearby counties uh, or regions if your state has has regional offices um, that can help you on your farm with your your pastures so if, if anybody has any questions um, you know instead of you know you can either you know reach out to eExtension and we can help you but really your local offices are going to be the, the best place to go and you can just google you know your state your county cooperative extension office and and voila you can find someone I think one, one thing I would just add is, and, and this came up already, um, I, I think Dr. Martinson and, and Dr. Williams both mentioned this, but setting goals for, for your particular situation is very important because, for example, even here in Florida, we have a lot of pastures that, you know, different sections of the pasture might have very large live oak trees. And so, of course, that creates competition for the grass in terms of shading out some of those areas. But then because of our hot humid summers, that's also a loafing area. That, that tends to be a, a shade tree that provides shade for the horses. So also being realistic with those goals in terms of, if, you know, if you're able to manage most of your pasture to have good quality grass and, and, and a good level of, of nutrition or, or grass that you're providing the horses, maybe not getting so frustrated or, or focusing so much on that little loafing area or that, that shaded tree area 
that's just the nature of the sandy soils and, and shade competition for that grass. So putting your, your time, your labor, your effort into just keeping most of the rest of the pasture looking really good. And, and as we mentioned again, you know, not overgrazing it and taking good care of that grass, maybe that's the goal. So if you have some, some decent pasture on your property, focus on that. Don't worry or get too frustrated about some of those challenging spots or areas. Um, and, and maybe others have comments about that. But. Well, that makes me feel a little bit better. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I'd also say kind of piggybacking on that, you can actually choose the area that your horse is going to destroy. So if you have, you know, choose the sacrifice area. So you heard Dr. Martinson talk about her dry lot and then the pastures and whether in, in the Northeast and actually many other places around the country, you might end up making sacrifice areas with drainage, good drainage, and choose that so that it's not a muddy mess while you're protecting your other pasture as well, as opposed to letting your horse choose all the bare spots that they want to make everywhere. You're right, Dr. Heine, right? Like pasture management tends to be very overwhelming to people, and we don't want them to become frustrated or to think that they can't do it because pasture management boils down to just five things. Resting your pasture, so knowing when to turn them out, turn them off, and we can help you with your specific region. Like Dr. Williams said, extension is great at that. Resting, which just means regrowing, fertilizing, weed control, and mowing. So those are only really five things. So when you boil it down, it does take time, but it, I, I think pasture management isn't as overwhelming as in as horse owners think it is and it's so important for the variety of reasons that we have talked about well thank you that's a great conclusion and thank you everybody for your time today and i hope everyone appreciated our horse story with a purpose